0: Baptist Church friends and family. Uh, Once again, we are joining you. I guess we could call this the pastor's study, since I'm actually in my study. Uh, But as you're receiving this, the reason you're receiving it is because we are still at, uh, we're not not meeting as a result of the edict that has been passed down by our mayor to withhold uh, from gathering with 10 or more uh, people in public places. So we are following that order and we do pray that this message finds you well. Now before I get started, let me just sort of explain uh, how we're gonna be handling this season. Please stay posted as much as possible to our website. Check us weekly, daily if necessary, because what we're gonna be doing is we'll be posting devotional messages and I'm going to be actually returning to our our Bible study. So even though I'm taking a diversion from our Sunday preaching through the book of James, I am going to continue our Wednesday Bible study through the book of Revelation. So stay posted or or stay tuned in and we will have postings for our uh, weekly Bible studies. Uh, I'm not sure at what schedule we'll be recording for the devotional messages, but we will take into consideration the fact that we're enter- entering into Passion Season. Uh, and if we are not allowed to meet prior to Resurrection Sunday, then one of our devotions will be devoted to that as well. So please keep, uh, keep posted. Uh, stay up to date by... Uh, looking on our website and see what's, uh, what's posted. And I want to say thank you to Zena Wilson and Sam and others who have devoted either uh, equipment or expertise in allowing us to do this because if I were doing this on my own, well, you kind of know how that would go. Also, we want to say um, take this time as we are not able to meet and see one another face-to-face, please take to heart our responsibility to reach out to one another. I, don't, I heard someone reference, uh, actually was a, a medical doctor that, that uh, used the term social, when someone used the term social distance, he said, I don't really like that, or it was a lady, she said, I don't really like that designation, social distance. She said, I'd rather you refer to it as physical distance. And the point that she made is that as creatures, as human beings, we it's its dangerous for us to think about being disconnected socially. So even though we're not able to see one another physically at this time, um, we are still connected. And so we're not socially distant. We are physically distant. We're not able to see one another face to face. And the last time we met, we it's not always comfortable to shake hands at this point. But don't let those physical restraints somehow make us comfortable with not seeing one another. So we, we do encourage you, call one another. And as I always tell you when we gather, make it a point. I know there are people you're going to talk to no matter what. In fact, you'll talk to them five or six times as you're listening to this message. You're, not, you're ignoring their, their phone calls or whatever. But make it a point to reach beyond your normal circles. And go through your church roster. Go through your prayer list. And even if you need to, call the office to get phone numbers so that we can connect with others that are part of the body that we would not ordinarily speak with. So we, I encourage you to do that. Also, let me remind you that we're going to be using this, this medium as a way of still reaching, reaching out and sharing God's Word with you. But understand that this is not a supplement or this is not to replace the church I don't believe that there's anything you know I know people talk about the e church or online church online is a vehicle used by church the church is the body of Christ and the church assembled is not us looking at our devices uh, as, as a regular diet But we do use these things, all of the tools and technologies that are available to us uh, as as a supplement to the primary purpose of gathering together to hear God's Word, to connect with one another. So this isn't to replace. This isn't a wave of the future. This is us reacting to the moment so that we can still remain connected to those who are in the body of Christ and continue our, our ministry of the Word as much as we can given these circumstances. We're even making preparation for a special way in which we can share the Lord's Supper. So please, again, stay tuned to our website and we will give you instructions concerning that. But on first Sunday, it is our our intention to be able to share at the same time from the Lord's Supper. Now what I wanna do today is uh, take a moment in preparation for the week of passion, to look at a particular passage from the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 4 and 5, and particularly verse uh, verse 4, but I'll read verses 4 and 5. John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, I know it's always difficult when you come into the middle of a passage to get a sense of context. The context of this passage is verses 1 through 3, where the Apostle John makes a few things very clear. Number one, he personifies the Word. He makes it clear that when he's speaking of the Word, he's not talking about a... a a, a word that comes out of someone's mouth, but he's, the Greek term there is logos, which means the logic or the mind. But in essence, he's saying that the word is a person and the word is divine and the word is eternal. And what he's designating as word here, he is saying is responsible for everything that was created. He says there was nothing made that was not made by him. And by him, he's referring to the word. To further underline the fact that the word is a divine personage, in verse 4, John says, in him was life. And there are at least two ways that we can understand that phrase, in him was life. On the one hand, in terms of his deity, This affirms the fact that the Word who became flesh was Jesus. This affirms the fact that Jesus is divine because only God is the source of life. Therefore, he's identifying the Word as a life source. But I think there's another way we can look at this phrase in terms of Jesus being life. In him was life. And that's in conjunction not just with his deity, but with his incarnation. Jesus is life in that he is the source of life, but he is also life in the sense that he is a source of life for us spiritually. In fact, it's in John's Gospel, chapter 10, where Jesus himself says, I have come that you may have life and that more abundant." The other thing that John says in this passage, not only is Jesus life, but he says that the life that is in him is light for men. Now, in those two phrases, what he's doing is he's combining two of the most profound metaphors used in scriptures to describe the fallen human condition. Two metaphors, two expressions that are used in in metaphorical ways to describe what it means to be fallen. Darkness, or to be dead, and then to be in darkness. Let me begin with the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, and he alludes to it a few verses later as well. But in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, Paul says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. So that's one way of describing the spiritual condition of fallen humanity, dead in trespasses and sins. To to be spiritually dead means at least three things. It means, one, to be out of fellowship with God. Later in chapter 2, Paul goes on to talk, uh, uh, chapter 2 as well as in in chapter 4, but he talks about being alienated from God. He addresses this specifically in chapter four that the fact that we are dead is to be alienated from God. Oftentimes in speaking of, of natural death, when we speak of physical death, we say that physical death is the absence of the soul from the body. so spiritual death is the absence of fellowship or the, the abs- or the lack of fellowship between us and God so it's to be it's it's manifest in the physical uh, exile of Adam from the Garden of Eden so to be out of fellowship is one of the things that is meant by being spiritually dead alienated from a life of God secondly to be spiritually dead is not only to be out of fellowship or to be separated from God But it also means to be unresponsive to the will of God, to be unresponsive. Um, We know that the law of God still remains written in our hearts. It is scrambled, but we do have a basic sense of right and wrong. But in our fallen condition, we are unresponsive to the things that God has called us to be. And even when we do good, it's not to the degree that it should be. So in our natural fallen condition, we are unresponsive to the things of God. In fact, even when we do good, it's not so that we can please and glorify God, but it's usually for our own purposes. So we are, first off, separated from fellowship with God. Secondly, to be spiritually dead is to be unresponsive to the things of God. But thirdly, to be spiritually dead Means to be unable to do the things that God has required us to do. So even if we were able to respond to the things of God, we are not able to do the things of God. We're not able to do the things that God has required of us as His image bearers. It's not that we don't have the ability to speak but we're not able to use our speech to the degree that we should to the glory of God. When we talk about being dead in trespasses and sins, it doesn't mean that we can't think, but we can't think properly. We can't even do good for the right purposes. So to be spiritually dead is to be where we are separated from fellowship with God, we are unresponsive to the will of God, and we are unable to do the things of God. The fact that in our natural state we are spiritually dead is why the scripture speaks of the necessity of regeneration. Regeneration literally means to be born again, which is why we have that term in John's gospel, to be born again, to be born anew. And so regeneration is, again, it's, it's spoken of in, in very dramatic terms, to me the best one of the best illustrations of regeneration in the old testament is the vision of the valley of dry bones that we see in the book of ezekiel because there ezekiel goes to a valley or shown in a vision a valley of, of bones that are scattered every which way and they are there's not even flesh on the bones so it's not even a corpse these are bones that are scattered And the Lord asks Ezekiel the question, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's answer is, Lord, only you know. In other words, he knows what they were, but the question is, can they live now? And the Lord tells Ezekiel, you prophesy, which is to say proclaim, preach. And as Ezekiel preaches, the wind, symbolizing the spirit, comes into the valley and through the combination of of word and spirit all of a sudden the bones come together and not only do they come together but flesh and 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 all of the things that brings actual uh, that that makes up an actual human body it is brought into existence through the proclamation of the word and the ministry of the holy spirit in our natural fallen condition we are nothing less than dry bones Now, it's shown to us more vividly, perhaps, in the New Testament with an actual resurrection, and that is the person of Lazarus. Lazarus is dead, three days dead, or three days buried, to the point where his body is beginning to deteriorate. And then it is the word spoken by Christ, the command for him to come forth, that allows him to come back to life because that's, and and again, even though in that case, there's actual physical death, not a vision, as in the case of of Ezekiel, but here we have an actual physical death and Jesus causing back to life. Well, again, this is a powerful illustration of the dynamics of regeneration, and the reason regeneration is necessary is because in our natural state, we are dead. In our spiritual state before God, We are dead. We are unable to respond to him. We are unable to do anything that is pleasing to God. So that's the one metaphor. So when Jesus, when John says that in him was life, yes, he is divine and therefore he is the source of life. But John also says that he is life, not just to say that he's divine, but in his humanity, he takes on physical life so that he could be a source of spiritual life for those who are dead in trespasses and sins. The other metaphor for our condition that John touches on by way of its opposite in our text is the condition of darkness. John says that in him was life, and his life was the light of men. And the flip side of light is darkness. Part of another metaphor, very apt metaphor used for the fallen condition, is to say that we exist in darkness. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, describes salvation as being called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Paul, in Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 Uses similar language When he describes salvation in this way He says for he has rescued us From the dominion of darkness And has brought us into the kingdom Of his beloved son Now just as spiritual death Does not mean no physical ability Spiritual darkness does not mean That we are just blind But what it does mean if physical to spiritual death means that we are not able to be and do what God has called us to be and do, then to be in spiritual darkness does not mean that we don't see and that we don't understand. But what it does mean is that we don't see and we don't understand as we should. Uh, Jesus, using that same analogy and that same metaphor in the Gospels, he says that the eyes are the light of the soul, or the lamp of the soul, and it lets in light. Now, if that light is darkness, he says, then how great is that darkness? And his point being is that in our natural state, we are actually seeing through, we're, we, we think we're seeing light, but it's not until we have been regenerated that we have a new life source, and it's for this reason that uh, throughout church history, not only have we spoken of uh, Christian faith as consisting of regeneration, but the work of the Spirit is also described as illumination, in that He is a source of light. He brings us into light so that we now have a better understanding. So spiritual death does not mean the absence of physical ability. It means the absence or the inability to act properly, likewise to be in darkness does not mean that we're not able to see but it means that we're not able to see and we're not able to understand properly the apostle paul gives us a good working explanation of this dynamic when he or this of, of the fallen condition when he's referencing the unregenerate gentiles in ephesus and reminds his readers that they were once like those, uh, like those unregenerate Gentiles. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul describes those Gentiles who remain unregenerate in this way. He says they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. So it's fitting that at the very beginning of his gospel, that John would use this twofold description of Jesus in him was life and that life is necessary for those who are spiritually dead then he says that that life that is in Jesus is our light so in other words this statement is is a good it's a good expression, a good summary of the necessity of the physical ministry of Jesus. In fact, it's a great companion to what is one of my favorite Advent verses, which is John chapter 1, verse 14, where John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, one could ask the, reason, the question, what is the reason for the Word becoming flesh? the word, the eternal second person of the Godhead became flesh so that he would be a life source, a spiritual life source for those who are dead in trespasses and sins. And in his living, he would grant to us light, a better understanding, a better understanding of ourselves better understanding of the world in which we live and a better understanding of god brothers and sisters understand that all of us think we know but in our fallen state we what we know is shrouded in darkness and the struggle for those who are in christ is to allow the light of the gospel reflected in the life of christ to overcome the darkness that makes sense to us. So in all of our interactions, we act according to the light that we allow to dominate. We don't bring light in. Light has come to us and it is our responsibility to make sure that we subdue the darkness because he has already transferred us from the kingdom and the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous son, or as Peter says, out of darkness into his marvelous light. As we enter into the Advent, or excuse me, the season of our Lord's passion, it it does include the climax of human darkness, because ultimately human darkness brings us into a crash or into a collision with the ultimate light Himself. And that is with God. That is what judgment is. It is God dealing with darkness. Darkness that is the result of our rebellion against his law and resistance to his will. And so this season of our Lord's passion is the eternal, magnificent light of God. The second person of the Godhead clothed in human flesh to show us what it really means to be human. And he lives a life of fellowship with God throughout the course of his earthly ministry so that on Good Friday, he could offer up the life that God has required of us so that he would bear in his, his flesh judgment and condemnation that we have deserved so that we could experience true life, which is fellowship with God. And that fellowship with God is the light by which we are to live the rest of our lives. The Word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son of God. What took place on Good Friday is that the Word made flesh, took our, our wrath. But what we experienced on Resurrection Sunday is the light overcoming the darkness. And so we are his, and we are now seated in his kingdom of light. Let these two truths resonate with us as we serve God in the midst of these troubled times. Look forward to being with you again soon.